beautiful song. Psalm 145. Psalm 145, when you find your place, I ask you to stand. You've been sitting for a while, let you stretch your legs. Psalm 145. I was thinking while they were singing that, that the world would look at Nathan and Marissa just having a baby. They'll head out June the 21st, full-time deputation, well, part-time deputation. Be gone for two months raising support to go to the Philippines. End of August, the plan is come off staff, step out by faith, and trust God. <clears throat> Most parents and grandparents that think their kids are crazy quit their job three months after having a baby, but have never been more excited and proud. Come on now. May not have riches as some others do. I got a mama knows how to pray and a daddy that stands for the truth. Some things you just can't put a price tag on. The world would look at anybody serving God today and they think we're crazy, but that's nothing new. They always have. They always have. Thought we were crazy. Paul stood in front of the king and he said, you're much learning that made you mad. Right. Paul said, no, I used to be crazy. I, I got my mind right now. Right. Yeah. I want to preach this morning on the thought that's been on my heart for several days that I feel like is very appropriate for the day and age in which we live in, the hour in which we live in, not to mention the baby dedication to follow immediately after the message but in Psalm 145, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read the entire chapter because we're going to look at it throughout the course of the message. Look at what it says in verse number four. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. Look at verse 13. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. David used the phrase unto all generations over and over and over throughout the book of Psalms. We're only going to look at a few of them this morning by way of introduction and then we're going to get into chapter 145 this morning and ask God to open it up to us. But I want to preach on this thought today unto all generations unto all generations lord bless the preaching of your word as we take the scriptures and expound it may god's people be stirred and challenged and lord may you be glorified and may your word be magnified as our prayer in jesus name amen you can be seated let me begin by saying that the message today the subject today that we are dealing with is that we believe that what we believe and what we preach and what we teach and what we've been taught and what we stand for and what we live by is timeless. Right. Right. I can't emphasize it enough because we're living in a day where everything we've ever been taught is being disputed. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Everything that we stand for is being challenged. It's being, it's being ridiculed and mocked. And the Bible's clear that what we believe is for all generations. We call ourselves old-fashioned, and I suppose we are. I know I'm old-fashioned. I've said it many times. I've even said it in staff meetings. I feel like I was born 100 years too late. I feel like I would have fit in better. But God has us here and now for such a time as this. And today I have the wonderful opportunity to with my daughter and my son-in-law and with Nathan's parents, both sets of grandparents, to be able to dedicate my grandson, our first grandchild. This is your second grandchild. They just had one just a few months ago. And I had another son married on Friday. They'd have been here earlier, but they had a son graduate from college and get married just in the last two weeks. And it's a very... It's a very, I guess, uh, sentimental day for me. And yet, if you've heard me preach, which you have, I preach about the next generation and our young people a lot. I look around at the world that we live in today and my heart is so burdened for the next generation. My heart is broken to see the world that they're growing up in, how messed up it is, how distorted it is, and how cockeyed it is. When we were in Tennessee last week, I heard a song, came out in 1985, and here it is, 2021, I heard the song, Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. I've heard the song years ago, but now that I'm a grandpa, my ear just kind of tuned to the words, and I thought how horrible it would be for my grandson to look at me one day and say to me the words that were in that song, Grandpa, tell me about the good old days. Sometimes it feels like the world's gone crazy. Grandpa, take me back to yesterday where the line between right and wrong doesn't seem so hazy. The second verse says, Grandpa, everything is changing fast. We call it progress, but I just don't know. Grandpa, let's wander back into the past and paint me a picture of long ago. The course says, did couples really fall in love to stay? Stand beside each other, come what may? Was a promise really something people kept, not just something they would say and then forget? Did families really bow their heads to pray? Did daddies really never go away? Oh, grandpa, tell me about the good old days. And I thought the generation gap between the generation of today and those of us that are older, trying to explain and describe what it was like years ago. And it hit me that the day may come, Brother Berner, when I may have to look down at my grandchildren and describe what it was like to live in the United States of America the way we grew up. David made a list of things in the book of Psalms that he said were unto all generations. I don't have time. Time will not permit for me to give you all the verses. There were many of them. But I want to just look at a few of them this morning by way of introduction. I broke it down into three sections. Number one, his precepts are for all generations. 
In Psalm chapter 33, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. The word of God is relevant for all generations. It's not just for the grandparents. It's not just for the senior saints. It's not just for those that lived in the 1800s and the early 1900s, but the word of God and the precepts of God are relevant for generations today. They are for all generations. Psalm 100, verse number five, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. There's ever been a time when the word of God was more relevant and needful than now, I can't imagine when it must have been. But I'm telling you, today when people have lost their moral compass, when people seemingly have followed their own lustful desires and they're following the humanistic philosophies that they were taught in the government schools growing up and through the infiltration and the influence of Hollywood into our churches, into our homes, we need to get back to the precepts of the word of God. They are for all generations. David said in Psalm 119, verse 89 and 90, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth and it abideth. I can tell you right now, we can preach the Bible to our children, to our grandchildren with just as much authority as our grandparents preached it to us 30, 40, 50 years ago. It doesn't change. God's word has not changed. Hebrews says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible talks about the immutable counsel of God. It does not change. God's word is not affected by fads and fashions. It's not affected by the trends. God's word does not hinge on what is trending on social media. God's word does not hinge on the hot topics and the, and the poo-poo subjects and the things you can't talk about and the forbidden topics. The word of God is established in heaven, forever still in heaven, and his precepts are for all generations. Secondly, his praiseworthiness is for all generations. Listen to what David said, Psalm 45, verse 17. I will make thy name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore shall the people praise thee forever and ever. God is worthy to be praised. And I'm afraid we've got a generation today that don't know how to praise God. I remember growing up in churches and watching those old senior citizens, those old senior saints, they would shout and they would rejoice and wave their hands and those little old ladies would pull out their hankies and they'd wave the hanky and during the preaching, during the singing and stand up and lift up holy hands. But we live in a generation today where people's got too much pride. They're too full of their self to know what it means to praise God and we need to preach the praiseworthiness of our God to all generations. The Bible says, out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast ordained strength. Jesus was coming through the streets of Jerusalem 
They were throwing down the coats and their garments in the street and they were waving the palms. The Bible says the children were crying in the temple, Hosanna, I'm telling you right now, praise is comely for the upright. We've got a generation that needs to know how to praise God because he is worthy. Psalm 79, verse number 13, so we thy people and sheep of thy pasture will give thee thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. What about that? What were they doing yesterday? What were they doing yesterday, our bus workers and our children's ministry workers doing over here in Brookshire when they were having the little children's club and they played some ball, played some games and they gathered them around and took the word of God and preached to them. And by the way, Brother Caleb, when he walked off the platform, he said out of the seven of them that got saved yesterday, five of them rode the bus this morning and a couple of them drove in, their parents came with them. What were we doing? We were praising God and telling this generation, this young generation that God is real and that God is worthy. David said in Psalm 89 verse one, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. Thirdly, write this down, we see his power is for all generations. His power. David said in Psalm 145 verse 13, thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. This is our text chapter. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. He's still king. He's still Lord. Amen. Psalm 146, verse 10, the Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. Psalm 102, verse 12, but thou, O Lord, shall endure forever and thy remembrance unto all generations. Boy, David talked a lot about unto all generations all throughout the book of Psalms. But those were just three categories that we classified several areas that today we need to remind the young people that God's word and his precepts apply to them and that God is praiseworthy and he deserves to be worshiped and, and magnified and then that his power, he's still king, he's still on the throne whether they like it or not. And there's always somebody, something trying to take God down off the throne but they never will. Satan himself couldn't do it. Satan said, I will lift myself up above the most high. I'll exalt myself. And, and Satan and a third of the, of the angels were cast out of heaven for trying that. And ever since, man's tried to do it, but they'll never unseat my God. He's king of kings and, and Lord of lords. And it's important that the world today knows that God is still God. The government's not God. Amen. The science department's not God. The health department's not God. Come on now, God is God. Always will be God. So I guess my question is, how do we impact all generations? How do we influence all generations? What can we do to make sure that we do not drop the ball when it comes to all generations knowing? Well, I'll look back in our text in chapter 145. I'm gonna give you three points this morning. I outlined this chapter verse one and two, and then from verse three down through verse 12, and then from verse 13 down through the rest of the chapter. Three points I wanna give you this morning in the time that we have left. How do we impact all generations? Write this down, number one, with a life of consistency. By our consistency. Look at verse one and two. I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Look at verse two. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. 
We cannot impact the next generation just being weekend warriors. <laughs> we must live a life of consistency, one that walks with God every single day. One that understands a daily relationship with God. According to verses 1 and 2, notice David extolled God in verse 1 every day. I will extol thee. That word extol means to exalt and to lift high. It's hard to extol yourself when you're exalting God. I will extol thee. He lived a life extolling God every day. He allowed God, verse 1, to be his king every day. Look at what it says. I will extol thee, my God, O king. It's interesting to me that David, being a king, recognized he had a king. Amen. David blessed his name, not just on the good days, but every day. Verse 2, every day will I bless thee. Preacher, I had a bad day. Yep, that's going to happen from time to time. I had a rough day. I've had a couple of rough weeks before. In fact, I've had a couple of rough weeks strung together and had a couple of rough months, but he was still God. David blessed him. If Job can bless the Lord, sitting in a pile of ashes with balls from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet after losing everything he had, and his wife's standing over him telling him, why don't you curse God and die if Job can do that? If David can bless the Lord, we ought to know what it's like to live for God every day. If we're going to impact the next generation, they've got to see Christians with a consistent walk with God. David blessed his name every day. He praised the greatness of the Lord every day. Ain't God good? Ain't God good? I was sitting the other day on the couch just thinking about the goodness of God and started crying. I thought, I feel like I'm his only child. I am. Bless me. He's been so good to me. I thought about the love that we have for our children. Thought about the love that we have for our grandchildren, which far exceeds the love we have for our children. <laughs> we was at Smoky Mountain Knife Works in Tennessee. If you've never been there, you gotta go. Thousands and thousands, <coughs> excuse me, of knives, from little pocket knives all the way to big swords. Every kind of, <coughs> excuse me, every kind of knife you can imagine. And I'm walking around there looking for something to buy for Landon. <clears throat> <clears throat> and then I thought, well, I probably ought to get Zane something too while I'm in here. <laughs> he actually likes knives. I don't know if Landon's going to like knives or not. But <clears throat> I thought about the love we have for our children pales in comparison to the love God has for us. Right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, I'm walking around in there thinking of something I can buy. I bet he'd like that when he gets old enough to know what it is, you know. <laughs> I bet he'd like that. <clears throat> How much is that knife? $150? No, I want to get something nice. That's too cheap. <laughs> I never did that with my kids. All right, you can buy whatever you want as long as it's under $5. Y'all go ahead, go shopping. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder how many times a day God says, I wonder what I can do to bless him today. Well, God's been so good. 
and getting distracted. David searched out God's greatness every day. I'm in, still, I'm, I'm in verse number three. Great is the, where are we at? I, I, I've lost track. Great is the Lord, great to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. My goodness. A life of consistency, I believe is important. Our young people need to see people that live for God and walk with God and live what they say they believe. We say we believe, but we don't live like it sometimes. And that's sending mixed signals, our young people. Number two, this is important, a life of communication. A life of communication. One generation, verse four, shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty work. Acts, verse five, I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. Verse six, and men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter. Y'all seeing all these references to communication in these verses. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works and all thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Verse after verse after verse after verse, David said we're gonna have to communicate to the next generation if we're going to see God reach the next generation. You say, well, how important is that, communicating, telling uh, the next generation? How important is it talking about God all the time? I'm so glad you asked. Judges chapter two and verse number eight says, Joshua the son of Nun died being 110 years old and they buried him in the border of his inheritance. Verse 10, and also all that generation were gathered under their fathers, watch this, and there arose another generation after them which knew not the Lord nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. Now you tell me how does Joshua and his entire generation die and the generation that rose after them knew not the Lord nor the works which he had done. I'm gonna tell you how. This is deep, stay with me. They didn't communicate it. They found time to talk about everything else under the sun, but they didn't find time to set the kids and the grandkids down and tell them about God and who God was and what he had done for them and tell them about the miracles that they had witnessed. How does a generation, Dr. Bittner, that experienced the moving of God through the wilderness and across in that Jordan River, circling the Jericho walls and see them tumble down and see God give them the inheritance that he promised Moses at the burning bush. How does that generation not know God? Mom and daddy didn't talk about it, that's why. They didn't talk about it, they didn't share it. It's imperative that we understand the significance of communicating to our young people what God is doing, what God has done. I want you to save your place. We're going to come back there in just a minute. Turn over to chapter 78 of Psalm. I want you to see this. Chapter 78, I want you to see this right here. Chapter 78. We're talking about the next generation, communicating to them who God is and what we know about God and what we've experienced 
from God. Chapter 78, verse 1, Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. Is everybody still with me? We will not hide them from their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works which he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation uh, that set not their heart aright and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. Oh, do you see the importance communicating to the next generation who God is? and what God's done, and what God wants, and what God expects. Listen to me, you've heard me say it a hundred times, but I'm gonna say it again. Mamas and daddies, it's not the Sunday school teacher's job to teach your children about God. It's not the youth pastor and his wife's job to teach your young people about God. It's not junior church workers' job to tell your children about God. It's not the Christian school teachers to tell your children about God. It is your job as mamas and daddies and grandparents to tell your children about God, and then we can come along beside you and reinforce what you're teaching them at the house. It's your job, your job. I tell you, all my life, all my ministry, I've seen parents and grandparents drop the ball at home, blame the pastor, the youth pastor, the school teachers for their kids going to the hogs and going to the world. I'm telling you right now, mom and daddy, that's your children. You raise them, you teach them, you communicate, you turn the television off, spend time with them talking about the God and the goodness of God. Not just on Sunday. But every day, every day. Number three, write this down. If we're going to produce a generation that knows God and believes God and walks with God, we've got to do it with a life of contentment. Boy, this is so important. A life of contentment. The older I get, the more I realize the significance that this very attribute that I'm preaching about right now plays in causing young people to thirst and hunger after God. David said, look at what he said in verse number 13 down through the rest of the chapter. But what really got my eye was verse 16. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. God, by the way, is the only one that can satisfy. People today are strung out on drugs. I'm just curious. How many of you in here, either personally or with a family member, your life has been touched by drug addiction. Raise your hand. Either personally or a family member. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. People looking for something. Trying to find it in a joint, in a syringe. Trying to find it in a little bag. Trying to find it in a, in a, in a, in a bottle. You know what David said? David said, I'm satisfied with God. I don't need nothing the world has. I don't need what the devil's offering. One of the reasons why a lot of younger generations looking over the fence is because mom and daddy's looking over the fence. Yeah. 
In fact, I put this out on Facebook a while ago. Parents, if you're sitting on the fence, don't be surprised if your kids fall off the fence. You say, I don't know what that means. Here's what it means. If you're not committed to God, don't be surprised if your kids don't even try. Our children will do in excess what we do in moderation. If you've got that Brill Cream religion, little dab will do you. Don't be surprised if your kids can live without the little dab. Come on now. If church is just a Sunday thing, if God's just a Sunday thing, come on now. Getting quiet. It shouldn't be getting quiet. I'm preaching. David was satisfied with God. Let's look at these verses. I, I broke verse number 13 down through verse number 20. Give you a quick outline right quick. David was content with God's reign in verse 13. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. David himself, as I said a moment ago, was a king, but he was not in competition with God. He recognized God was king. He was satisfied, content with God ruling and reigning in his life. Are you? Or is God an imposition? Is God cramping your style? Is God keeping you from doing a lot of things you want to do? We're talking about being content and we're talking about trying to get the next generation on board with living for God and dedicating their heart and life to God, but they won't do it if we're sitting on the fence and we're not satisfied with God. Number two, David was content with God's rescue in verse 14. The Lord upholdeth all that fall. And raiseth up all those that be bowed down. Thank God for that. I'm thankful that God knows how to come and minister to me when I'm bowed down. I get bowed down sometimes. Spiritually, mentally, emotionally. Things weigh me down, but God's able to raise me up. Praise the Lord for that. Number three, David is content with God's resources in verse 15 and 16. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. Thankful for what God provided. Didn't want what the world had. Didn't want what the devil offers. Was satisfied with what came from the hand of God. Mom and Dad, if you won't raise content young people, you're going to have to be content. Come on now. Letter D, content with God's righteousness in verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and holy in all of his works. Well, I said it a minute ago, but I'm going to say it again. Is God's definition of holiness and righteousness and what he expects of you and I as Christians, is that cramping your style? And some peon last week attacking me on Facebook about how that preaching purity and holiness is destroying this generation and how toxic it is. And I thought, what Bible... Do you even pretend to be used? And what planet are you from? Some bitter, some bitter former IFB preacher's kids that's now trying to straighten out everybody, demanding purity and preaching purity? That sounds like, that sounds like devil worship to me. Is, is, is preaching on purity, does that bother you? Because if it bothers you, mom and daddy, it's going to bother your kids. You're going to have a hard time communicating to your children the importance of them getting married virgins 
If you're sleeping around and running around on your husband or your wife and fornicating and committing adultery, don't expect to raise pure kids. Come on now. Say amen or owe me one. Sick and tired of this crowd preaching at me for preaching the book. I'm preaching what God said. I'm preaching what God said. Last time I checked, God demanded purity and God demanded holiness. In fact, he said, come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. You got a problem with purity and righteousness and godliness, you take it up with God. Don't, don't come at me about it. I'm just preaching what, hey, I'm just delivering what the cook cooked in the kitchen, amen. I'm just the waiter. David didn't have a problem with God's righteousness. He was satisfied. Lord's righteous in all his ways. He's holy in all of his works. Amen. Letter E, content with God's response in verse 18 and 19. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him. To all that call upon him in truth, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. And lastly, he was content with God's retribution in verse 20. The Lord preserveth all that love him and all the wicked will he destroy. Let, he was content to let God handle it. I know we're going a little bit long this morning, but I didn't get to preach the last couple of Wednesday nights. It's kind of piled up. Under all generations. This Bible, the God we serve, what we have in our heart, it's for all generations. And they need it bad. And if we don't give it to them, they're not going to get it. They got to get it from us. And we earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. I wonder this morning with heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just unhitching right here. I'm not done, but I'm going to quit for the sake of time. Altars are open if you need to come. We've got a baptism. We've got a baby dedication. But before we do any of that, you might need to talk to God about the message. While the musicians are playing, altars open. You can slip out from your seat right now. Join these in the altar. Are you doing your part?